Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. All right, wherever you are, you ready to start? Part one of the messy middle. Um, I'm excited to preach this message. And here's where this series came from. Okay, number one, um, this is where I'm a little bit bitter. My entire message schedule for all of 2020 got blown up. So I spent months working on message series and planning ahead. And then after um, series number two, all of it just went away. So um, that's where I'm bitter, but I'm working on it. So this message series is not something I originally planned. And this message is not something I originally planned until we started getting bombarded with questions. Um, and, And honestly, tension that people were walking through over the last like six to eight weeks. And one of the big questions that we've gotten over and over again is what I want to deal with today. And we're going to track with this for about four or five weeks, talking about the messy middle. So here's what the series kind of big idea is, and it's just this. That all of us find ourselves at certain places, and this has never been more true than right now, where we're just in the middle of something and we're waiting. So we're in the middle of where we were and we're waiting for what we want to be. And in the middle, a lot of times is really, really difficult, especially if the middle is painful, especially if there's any suffering in that place, especially if there's some hurt, especially if you're waiting for maybe a dream to be fulfilled or you're trying to get on the other side of COVID-19 or get a job back or get your kid to come home. I mean, whatever it is, the middle of anything when you're waiting to get to where you wanna be can be messy. In fact, that's the space a lot of times where you start to doubt God That's the space a lot of times where you can lose contentment and it's just like hurry up. And a lot of times you make bad decisions to try to circumvent what you wanna get. A lot of times you lose hope in that season. It can just get really, really messy. And here's the thing that the scripture teaches that is gonna be the backdrop for this whole series. And it's just this, that our entire lives are lived in the middle. Like not just the circumstance you're walking through, not just COVID-19 or or whatever your specific circumstance is, but all of our lives are being lived in the middle from what God originally created us for in the Garden of Eden. Sin entered the world, it jacked everything up, and now we are waiting for God to return us to what ultimately he has planned for us. But in the middle of that, it's messy. Like in the middle of that, like our lives, no matter how good they are at times, there is hurt. There is pain, there is suffering, there is waiting. It doesn't go the way we want to. Dreams die, people die. And the scripture over and over again talks about the fact that that's where we are living our lives. And here's the question a lot of times that can arise in that place, and it's just this. If there is a God that is good, and if there is a God that's just, why is there so little goodness and why is there so little justice? And that's a big question. And we kind of looked at that a little bit about a month ago, but I wanna dive really deep into that. Hopefully I will not get too deep to where I lose you and this will be simple, but I really want to just dive down on that whole tension. Now, here's the thing you need to know that I think is really interesting. That generally is only a tension in the West. 
And what I mean by that is a lot of people are watching um, from the United States. We have people outside of the United States. Last week after my wife's message, she got um, a message from New Sears, C. Sears from where was it at? Zimbabwe, um, like all over the place, like, hey, we're attending CC now, and we love it. That's amazing. But um, specifically in the United States, Canada, Europe, places like that, this is a huge tension. But what is really interesting is this is not a tension a lot of times in other places around the world. And here's what you will find. If you've ever been on a mission trip, this is the weird dynamic of walking into villages where it seems like they should have nothing to be joyful about or happy about, and you find an extraordinary suffering that these people have found extraordinary faith in God. So, but here, here's the big question that I want to attempt to answer or the argument that a lot of people are struggling with. And that may be you, and I'm glad that you're tuning in. I'm glad you're trying to get answers to questions. I have so much respect for you. And really that's how our church was designed. And so here's the argument. If God is good, he'd stop injustice. And if God could, he would stop injustice. And since either he won't or he can't, there must not be a God. Like that's the basic argument. No, what I wanna do is just dig down a little bit to the logic around that assumption. But before I get there, I wanna give you one side note real quick. And I think this is so important. Be very careful. I just say this with as much grace as that. Be very careful about building a case against God based on somebody else's suffering. You just need a heads up that you gotta proceed with a whole lot of caution when you try to hijack other people's pain and build a case against God. You know what I mean? Like with what they're walking through, or I can't believe they'd have to suffer that way, or I can't believe that this would happen. I can't believe that God would just sit by. And you just have to be careful because a lot of times what you will find in those stories that you wanna hijack for your defense of your argument against the, the non-existence of God, that in a lot of those situations, that was a path that actually led to God. And so before you move into that place, you gotta be very careful if you have not walked in somebody else's shoes to assume your destination. Because in a lot of cases, the stories that you point to around there can't be a God if are the very stories in those people's lives, that extraordinary suffering that led to extraordinary confidence in God. It didn't lead them away from God. It actually led them closer to God. So just be careful where you hijack somebody else's story for your argument. So here's the big point that I wanna get to with that said. Suffering, this is so important. Suffering and injustice are not an argument for or against anything. And, and what I wanna do is not get you to believe, I hope you believe, I hope at the end of this, you go, I believe Jesus is God and I wanna follow him with, with my life. But I'm not naive to think that everybody watching right now is gonna to come to that place. But I at least want to help you be intellectually honest around your arguments. And what you need to know is that suffering and injustice in the world are not arguments for or against anything. Suffering is actually a reminder, not an argument. And it's a reminder that you actually need God. I'd put it this way. There's no rational argument against the existence or the involvement of the God of Jesus based on injustice in the world. Like, and I get it, it's emotional. And we all have our stories. We've all walked through things. There's been those moments where like, God, how could you? I, I get that. But what is emotional is not an argument. Now there is an argument to be made against other faiths because of how those faiths are set up and what is the basis of those faiths. But Christians, and this is really important, Christians have never made an argument for the existence of God based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. 
ever. In fact, you've never heard the argument, well, if there's a good God, he never allows bad things to happen to good people. And so since God never allows bad things to happen to good people, there must be a God and Jesus must be who he says he is. That's never been the argument for Christianity, not for one day. That's never been the basis for it. In fact, here's what I would say, and here's where I would just challenge your thinking a little bit maybe. That suffering in the world actually calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. Like it would make more sense, honestly, with what you're walking through right now. And again, I I know it's emotional. If I heard your story, I probably would cry tears and go, I, I get why you would struggle. But it makes more sense to be angry at God than to become an atheist. Because suffering calls into question his justice, not his existence. What you have to understand is argument for existence, you guys still tracking with me? Argument for existence is not the same as your emotional or personal experience. So let me put it this way. Here's the classic argument for Christianity. This is is kind of our whole worldview packed into like one paragraph. That is that something exists, right? And something cannot come from nothing. This is the classic Christian view. Something cannot come from nothing. And so there must be a necessary first cause. And that first cause we believe is God. And that first cause created nature, meaning something supranatural happened, supernatural happened. But that first cause created all of nature. And so we believe that God exists. And then Jesus came to represent God as God. And he lived a perfect life and he performed miracles, and ultimately he died, and he predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. He walked out of the grave alive in history, and it's documented in history. And so because of that, we believe ultimately that that there is a God who created everything. Jesus represented him, and so because Jesus walked out of a grave alive, we believe it validates what Jesus said about God, And we believe it validates what Jesus said about the scriptures. But nowhere in that argument does it have anything to do with suffering. Nowhere on the basis of Christianity does it have any link to suffering or not suffering because our experience isn't an argument for anything. It simply questions the justice of God. It does not question the existence of God. Like, okay, so if you were, if my kids were to come to you, and this is very possible, this could happen down the road, but if my kids were to come to you and go, my dad is unkind and unjust and unfair, and he sits by while bad things happen to me, which that is true sometimes. Because, um, you know, okay, just real quick side note, and I don't know if you, and it's really hard where there's not a lot of people in the auditorium, because I, I don't know if anybody's with me, but um, you've got like your kids, and sometimes like your kids are about to do something, and you immediately in your mind start to go over risk analysis. Like, is this a good time for a lesson? Is this, a, I know that they're about to do something that's going to jack them up. Is this emergency room worthy, or is it they're just going to scrape some things up, and should I let this go? And like, what, like, what is the cost benefit? What is the risk analysis? And sometimes you just sit back and go, I'm just going to let you fall, and I'm just going to let you get jacked up for a And I think it's ultimately going to be for your good. So anyway, all that to say, um, those have happened on many occasions where my boys have fallen from things and out of things and on top of things, and I've just let it happen. So they may be coming to you at some point with this argument of I don't think my dad's fair and just and good and he lets bad things happen and sometimes he just watches it and then sometimes he laughs at me after it happens so that's possible that may happen and my point is just this is that when they come to you with those arguments it does not call into question my existence 
It calls into questions my goodness as a dad, maybe my fitness as a dad. But the fact that you're talking to my kids actually reiterates my existence. See, it's why it makes more sense to be angry with God over what you're walking through and what you've experienced and what's happened to you. It makes more sense to be angry with God than it does to decide that there is no God. Now, here's the other thing you gotta consider. Just go with me for a second. Just challenge yourself, even if you don't come to the conclusion that I want you to. Why do you assume that if there is a God, that that God is good and just? Like, why do you, because under that, there is a presupposition. If there is a God, why do you just assume that that God is good and that that God is just? Because, like, that came from somewhere. Like, says who? You? Like, because in ancient times, what's really interesting is the pharaohs never believed that. Um, Julius Caesar never believed that. In fact, they actually believed that injustice was evidence of the gods in the first century because of their whole like, idea of God and the fact that there was a lack of virtue of love and forgiveness and, and mercy and grace. And so they actually believed that injustice pointed to the gods. But where did you get that from? Like, who, because you can't create a standard and then hold that standard up against God. So why, why do you think that if there is a God, that that God must be good and just? And the answer is really simple. Somebody told you that. Like somewhere along the way, you were handed that. That is not natural. You just not, did not come up with that on your own. At some point along the way, you were handed that, and now you've held on to it ever since. And now you are judging God against that standard. And I get it. But you got to consider this. And you got to think about this. The version of God that is about justice and about dignity for all people was introduced by Jesus. Like, I, I, most of us don't know that or we've lost sight of that in the West and we become so inoculated to it, meaning we're just so familiar that we don't understand, but it did not exist before Jesus. In fact, John sits down, John was so close to Jesus, spent so much time with Jesus, and toward the end of his life, he's writing about what he experienced in Jesus' life, and he writes these famous words, and John says this, for God so loved, and I gotta think that John's sitting there, and he, he wants to write, for God so loved all the Jewish people, because this has always been a Jewish religion. In fact, religion has always been about exclusivity. There's about a certain group who are in and everybody else is out. And yet John, as he's sitting there, is going, I watched Jesus and I was with Jesus. And I think it's bigger than that. And John writes, for God so loved the world. And we lose sight of this. But with Jesus, Jesus introduced dignity and justice into a world where there was neither dignity nor justice. And what you have to understand is this. If the movement of Jesus were this fragile, that, that suffering or pain or hurt or walking through something that we don't understand could take the legs out from under God, if Christianity were that fragile, it would have never survived the first century. And yet, for 300 years, it didn't just survive, it thrived under extraordinary persecution, extraordinary hurt, extraordinary injustice, and they never let go of a good God and a just God, even in the midst of injustice. And the movement began to explode, toppled the Roman Empire and changed the world and suffering never caused them to bat an eye. You, you, just, you just have to consider and then these first century Christians began to move and John writes again in 1 John 4, 7. He says, dear friends, 
let us love one another. And you're like, well, why? Because it's a Galilean thing? No. The gods didn't even espouse this virtue. Love God was not even on the minds of anybody in Galilee. And John writes, no, this came from Jesus. Let us love one another. And here's why, for God, for love comes from God, from the gods, no. Love finds its basis in the God of Jesus. And John writes this in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty under the threat of his life which, with so much risk. And he says, love comes from God and everyone who's been born of God knows God. And verse eight, whoever does not love does not know God. And I can't overstate the significance of this because what Jesus introduced, God is love. Like if you were brought up with, well, I just believe in a loving God. I just believe in a loving God. I just believe that God is love. You did not make that up yourself. Love God came from Jesus. And with it came our sense of justice and our sense of dignity. Because I'm just gonna tell you, that is not natural. None of that is natural. Nature is not just Biology is not just, it is not kind, it is not fair, it is not loving. None of that is natural. In fact, I'll, I'll take Stephen Hawking's own words. He was a brilliant theoretical physicist, cosmetologist, and I love what he writes because it's so honest. He says this, he said, the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution. The terror that stalks my mind, and I deeply believe in evolution, Stephen Haw Hawking would say, because of naturalistic selection and natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our own aggression. And then if you were to go on reading, I didn't quote it on the slides, but Stephen Hawking goes on to say, eventually he thinks we need, when he was still living in, in his writings, we need to split up and go to different galaxies because it's the only way that ultimately humankind is not gonna annihilate itself. Why, because of nuclear weapons? No. Because someone who deeply believes in natural selection understands that its basis is not dignity. And its basis is not justice. In fact, its basis isn't even unjust. But what he understands is that in survival of the fittest, and you can read this for yourself, value is an illusion. Dignity is an illusion. In fact, mind is an illusion. Free will is an illusion. And eventually, left to itself, if you were to take it all the way out to its natural conclusion, we would end up destroying ourselves. In Stephen Hawking's own words, because natural law knows nothing of justice. Natural law knows nothing of love. Natural law knows nothing of dignity. At best, it knows of tolerance. And so here's the implications. This is so staggering. The best way, the best way to get rid of injustice in the world is to get rid of God. Like the best way to get rid of injustice, because when God is gone, justice leaves with him and we are simply left with nature. Like the best way to get rid of injustice is to get rid of God because here's how I put it in my notes. Once there is no objective standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. And you know what you're left with? Your justice, my justice, 
what somebody in a country across the world thinks is justice, what they think is justice, what your friend thinks is justice. You're left with ISIS justice and you're left with Nazi justice and you're left with clan justice and nature justice and power justice. You have nothing or no one ultimately to appeal to. And here's the thing. When we reject God in the world, we don't solve injustice. You actually lose the definition of justice. So, okay, so if you're, if you're listening, if you followed me up into this point, try to make it as clear as possible. You're like, okay, I got you though, I got you. Because if God is actually good and if God is actually just and all of the crap that's going on around us, like, does he have anything to say about it? Like, it's one thing to, to make an intellectual argument for it, but come on, does he address it at all? Does he say anything about this? And the answer to that question is yes, but we don't like it. And here's the thing real quick before I tell you about this, because we get so confused about this. And a, a, basically a contention or a complaint is not an argument, right? Because it's uncomfortable has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. There's lots of stuff that are uncomfortable that you may not like is still true. And so here's the thing. Does God, does, does God address this? Does God talk about this? Absolutely he does. Because Jesus brought us God as love. But that ain't all he brought us. Like there's other stuff, but we wanna kind of create our version and we wanna espouse justice, but we want justice on our terms because the scripture teaches that God is actually just and in the future, there will be the very thing that we accuse God of neglecting. There will be justice for everybody. Here's the thing, and this is the uncomfortable part. There is no justice without judgment. Like there is, by definition, I'm just helping you. You don't have to embrace any of this, but to be intellectually honest, I'm just telling you, you cannot have justice without judgment. And when you go, well, I just don't want a God of judgment, then you do not want a God of justice because it can't necessarily exist. It, intellectually, it does not hold up. And I'll just tell you to, to be, be real upfront, and I fall into this category just like you, this is all of it. But do you know why we resist? The reason that we resist that whole idea is because we know in our mind, we know when we're staring up at the ceiling, we know on that car ride home from whatever, the greatest regret, we know that we fall short. And there's an hypocrisy that that reveals because in all of us, we have the tendency to, I want justice for you and I want mercy for me. I'm not really that worried about you, if I were to be honest, but I'm worried about me. And I want justice for everybody else and I want mercy for me. And I'm just telling you, this is why the gospel is so amazing. And by gospel, I mean the good news that you find throughout the scripture, and it is all good news. If I don't leave every message with people maybe feeling some, I gotta work on that or some stuff that, that kind of gets in the midst of their heart and soul, but they should still leave with good news because all of the scripture and the entire narrative of Jesus is good news. And I'm telling you, this is why it survived the first century. This is why it began to dominate the globe. This is why we're talking about it all around the world today. Nobody would make this up. Because when God saw the state of the world, when God saw how jacked up everything had become because of sin after he had created a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, when God saw how our freedom had taken us in a direction that he knew would end badly, 
When God saw that all of us had fallen short and sin had entered into the world, he did not send a judge. He sent a savior. In fact, John, same guy we just looked at a second ago from his writings, wrote it this way in John 12, 47, doesn't get enough airplay. For I did not come, this is Jesus' words, I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. See, this is why if you walked away from faith or following Jesus because of the issue of justice or injustice, you should consider coming back because nobody gave it to us like Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, there was this parable that Jesus told one time, and a parable is like an untrue story used to illustrate something that's true. And there was this woman in the story that needed justice, and she was crying out for mercy, but the judge was not merciful, did not care about her, which was really this parallel to the gods at the time who didn't care about humanity and was not willing to give any justice and any mercy. And Jesus tells the par- this story to parallel our own experience and how we're walking through the messy middle. And, and Jesus says this in the parable, and will not God, Luke 18, seven, and will not God, Bring about justice for his chosen one who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? Listen, by the way, if you feel put off by God, like God, why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing anything about this? Why aren't you answering this prayer? Why would you allow me to bear up under the weight of this? Why would you allow me to have to walk through this? Jesus understands. I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, and he's talking to his guys at this time, talking about Jesus. However, when the son of man comes and all his guys are like, what do you mean when the son of man comes? We thought you were the son of man. Like we're confused. You're sitting here telling us the parable. We thought you had already arrived. What do you mean when the son of man comes? And Jesus in essence is like, no, no, you're in the messy middle. I'm not done yet. There's still more to be accomplished and all the pain and all the suffering and the unanswered prayers and God, what are you doing? That's a part of living in the middle between where we were and where ultimately God wants to bring us. So Jesus is like, when the son of man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? And the little group of people who are listening to Jesus in this moment They eventually left those conversations and not long after they eventually left an empty tomb and they went out and they began to talk about not just the teachings of Jesus, but what Jesus did, which was rise from the grave. And they held tightly without wavering that they believed that there was a God of goodness and a God of justice when the only thing that they ever experienced was injustice. And the bottom line is this. We want a God of love who cares about justice but doesn't judge. And that's impossible. It doesn't exist. It's a magic unicorn. You cannot be intellectually honest and hold on to that. You cannot create your own version of God made in your likeness. And if you reject the God of justice, you ultimately reject the basis of justice and all you're left with is nature and biology, which is unkind, unfair, unloving, and it will never, ever, ever bring dignity. Jesus brought that. So so here's where we're at. Here's the message of the good news, translated gospel, the message of Jesus, what he brought to planet earth. This is the messy middle. This is the message in like a sentence is, 
where we live right now between what God did and ultimately where God is gonna return us to in the midst, in the middle with the suffering and the hurt and the unanswered questions, the reality is this, what Jesus came to bring us is dignity now and justice later. But ultimately justice is gonna come. And come on, come on. If anybody could have walked away from God and lost faith because of suffering, it was Jesus the one who actually defined dignity was executed by the very people who he said, you have worth and you have value. The very person who defined our idea of justice was treated most unjustly. Come on, suffering is not an argument for or against anything. Suffering is an argument simply, if you wanna make an argument, for the fact that we need God and ultimately we need Jesus. And if, and this is a bold statement, if you genuinely care about justice, you should want Christianity to be true. Because suffering and injustice and your hurt and your loss and your final moments at that bedside, and when is it gonna work out? Am I ever gonna get on the other side of this is a reminder that we are in the messy middle. Something is wrong and we are not home yet. Because come on, isn't it, isn't it true? There are moments, and for some of you, this is the moment you're in right now. But isn't it true there, there's moments where you're walking through stuff and you've never stopped to consider this, but if you were to be really honest and present in the moment, the thing that you are so longing for, the thing that you want so badly, it isn't even attainable in this life. You'll never get there. C.S. Lewis said it this way in one of his most famous quotes, brilliant author, scholar, theologian. And he writes this, and there's different versions floating around, but he says it so clearly when he said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I'm walking through the messy middle and in that middle, there is pain and there is suffering. Jesus promised it. In this world, you are going to have trouble and pain and suffering. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And eventually you're gonna experience it. But right now in the middle where you're living right now, not just in the midst of your experience and your story, but just in the midst of life in general, every day you're reminded of what could be, of what should be, and ultimately what will be. But let me free you up. Your suffering and your pain and your hurt, they were never an argument for the existence of God. They are the reminder, you really need Jesus. So I just wanna give you that opportunity. Wherever you're at, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me? And I know some of you with your faith backgrounds, um, you're watching me right now and even that seems weird. It's just out of respect for, you don't need to pray in some certain position with your eyes closed, your hands a certain way, but just, just really out of this attempt to focus in and remove all the distractions. 
we just wanna pray to this God that we believe is Jesus that came to earth. And this is the gospel that I've referred to several times now that some of you are gonna embrace in this moment, not because this was a good message, but because we believe the spirit of God is present anywhere and everywhere. In that moment, you feel this thing that just goes, it's true, that's not me, that's not these words, that's the spirit of God actually inviting you into relationship with Jesus. And the gospel is that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he actually died the death that every single person should have died for their sin, justice. But rather than just judging us, he died for it and then he walked out of a grave alive three days later. He sent a savior rather than a judge. And the scripture says, if we place our faith and our trust in what Jesus did to take our judgment for us on the cross, we will be saved, we will be forgiven, we will become sons and daughters of God and we'll still live in the messy middle and it'll still be hard, it'll still be painful. But if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you get dignity now, you are made in the image of God, you are a son and you're a daughter of God and you will get justice later. And there will be a day where Jesus will make every wrong right and he will wipe away every tear and he will set you up in a perfect environment, not just heaven, eventually a new heaven, new earth. We're coming back here, but it's gonna be perfect. And you're gonna live with him forever. So I just wanna give you that chance right now to pray this prayer after me. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's actually your personal declaration of faith and trust. But I wanna invite people in all over this area, all over the state, all over the world right now who are watching and listening. Would you just pray with me? Jesus, I believe that you are God. And I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. And I believe that you died on the cross, the death that I should have died. And then I believe that you rose again. And right now, I'm trusting you not to judge me, but to save me, to rescue me, and to forgive me. And the scripture says the moment you transfer that trust from you trying to earn your way to you or believing the lie that you're too far gone or you've done too much for God to ever care. No, no, this is the gospel. All of us fall short. All of us need a savior. That means you. And the moment you make that declaration of trust in Jesus, the scripture says you're saved, you're forgiven, and nothing is ever gonna separate you from the love of God, even your future mistakes that you don't know about yet because they're based on what Jesus did not what you can do for Jesus. And so I wanna give you one more opportunity wherever you're at, because this is the moment you feel that thing that just, I believe this. This is the moment that you're being invited by God to trust in him as your savior. Jesus, pray this with me. I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I could not live. I believe that you died the death that I should have died. And I believe that three days later, you rose again. Right now, I'm not trusting me anymore. I'm trusting what you did for me. And it's that personal declaration of trust that saves you. And so right now in faith, I wanna celebrate people 
all over the place who are placing their faith and trust in Christ and going from death to light, from darkness to light. And I just wanna encourage you on this journey right now. If you would just reach out to us by texting CC decided to 94,000, CC decided to 94,000. We wanna give you information about this new journey wherever you're living around the country, around the world. And then I wanna encourage people to take a next steps. One of the greatest steps in growing your faith in a journey with Jesus with all, all that growing your faith means is growing in trust, just like you wanna grow in trust in your marriage or you want your kids to grow in trust with you. It's all about relationship. That only happens in community. So I wanna encourage you to step up. If you've been at this for a while to lead a group, if you haven't been or you just don't feel called right now to be a part of a group, and you can actually do that wherever you live because we have physical groups that will be meeting soon again, but we also have digital groups all over the country. So just text CC group to 94,000, CC group to 94,000 to begin to just grow in your faith and community and follow Jesus. And I just wanna welcome you into the family of God as a son and daughter and celebrate as you've made the decision right now to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. And so wherever you're at right now, give it up and let's rejoice and let's celebrate because there is more celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 people who've been at it for a while. That's awesome. But Jesus is all about prodigals coming home. And so we're celebrating that today. So let's celebrate a God of goodness, a God of grace, a God who brought dignity and says, you are made in my image. And I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to follow me. We have every reason in the world right now in this moment, no matter what you're walking through, to praise and lift up our voices. Let's do that wherever we are. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.